I think one of the reasons we are so drawn to fairy tales is because we long for the part that says, and they live happily ever after. But even in fairy tales, we don't get to the happy part without hardships and heartbreak and differing levels of discouragement. We want to believe that believe that frogs can become princes or ugly ducks can become swans or that um, wooden marionettes can become real boys. Every single one of these stories starts and continues through a variety of hardships and setbacks and discouragements. Um, A good story rarely starts happy and then stays happy and then ends happy. Even Hallmark knows not to follow that formula. With any good or captivating story, there is always setbacks and discouragements along the way. The same is true in the people of God and in the life of Christ followers today. Um, last week, we ended this message with sheer victory. The story starts off with God's people neglecting God. They had these disordered priorities, and God comes on the scene through this guy named Haggai. Um, God called them out on the life that they had been living. He calls a timeout, and he, and he essentially says, you're way more concerned with your own life, with building your own kingdom, while my house and my kingdom lays destroyed. And God points out these priorities that were disordered in their life. And he said, dude, consider your ways. Consider, think through your lifestyle as God's people. And then God reminds them, he says, listen to, listen to the ways that I've been faithful to you. Be, remembered, uh, be reminded, I've been faithful to you all these years throughout the ages. And this brings them to this place of repentance. And, and beautifully enough, God was gracious when they repented, and, and this grace actually got them fired up, their priorities were realigned, and they started building the temple. Their priorities were refocused on the things that mattered most. And the people are hard at work for four weeks, four weeks, they're stacking bricks, they're building God's kingdom, it's victorious, and, and, and one month goes by until discouragement comes along. It is inevitable that if you are doing God's work, that discouragement will take place. If you're a Christian, it's not if discouragement will happen, it's when it will happen. And discouragement came flooding in so intensely that they stopped the building project. It came to a halt. And I'm so grateful for the passage of scripture that we're going to look at today um, because we are no strangers to discouragement. Um, We need the word of God to speak into our discouragement. If you have tuned in today and you have something you're discouraged about, you found yourself in the right place, I think discouragement is probably the most universally experienced reality in our world today. If you haven't had a single moment of discouragement in the last two years, I could really use some pointers. Go ahead and email me. I really don't think there's a single person who made it through the last two years without this deep sense of disappointment or discouragement, especially as it relates to faith and our pursuit of God. And this word, because of that, this word is so timely for our church family. So let's read what God said to the people through Haggai. One month after they started building, this is what happened. Uh, Haggai 2, verses 1 through 3, it says, In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people. So he's basically saying, I'm speaking to everybody involved here. And this is what he says. Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? 
The workers are discouraged because the memory is still alive of how glorious the temple used to be. Less than 70 years ago, it stood in this very spot, the apple of God's eye, the magnificent achievement of Solomon. For centuries, the center of holy worship stood right where they were doing their hard labor. This very location was the place that displayed God's majesty and his glory. But instead of inspiring the people as they remember this, this memory actually made the people look at how pitiful this building or this structure is that we're building. They were discouraged because the good old days seemed a lot better than the current days. The glory of the previous temple seems to be a lot better than the labor-intensive, back-breaking, filthy brick-laying that they were doing all day long. What's the use, they were thinking? Like, we can't match the glory of the previous temple. We're wasting our time. Nothing beautiful or worthwhile will ever come of it. Let's just live off of the memory of the old temple instead of working for this measly imitation. So their hands stop working. Their discouragement was crippling. Their spirits were deflated. I think when we prioritize God, at first it's really exciting and fun and and new, and we have this fresh vision. But after a while, when you get a glimpse of the brokenness inside of you that still exists, or you look at the people around you and the corruption in this world, it can be a very daunting call to continue to press on. Can you relate? When you do God's work, your piece of the puzzle may seem really small it may seem insignificant. It may, may seem that, that the labor of your hands aren't making the impact you were hoping to make when you started it all. Have you ever been discouraged doing kingdom work? Have you ever felt as if the payoff or the progress doesn't seem to equate the work or the effort that you put in? If you haven't felt this way, it's likely that you haven't done a whole lot of kingdom work up to this point. But have you ever wondered is this ever actually going to make a difference if I continue to do this? Like, is my effort ever doing much at all? This is where the Israelites find themselves, and it's so often where we find ourselves in this life as followers of Christ. Um, maybe you felt you're pouring yourself into godly priorities week in, week out, month in, month out, and the fruit is so minuscule. You're like, I haven't made progress. And then you look back in history at the way God has moved, or you look on social media at like some spiritual giants that you look up to and, and all these grand achievements of other people and how God is using them in huge ways. And, and other people are seemingly making these huge, impactful things in the kingdom. And God's presence in your life, however, seems to be rather insignificant. The work of your hands seem unessential. And you get discouraged, and you're tempted to quit, and you're tempted to put your aspirations and drop your dreams and prop your feet up in front of the television and say, I'm good with God, but it's not worth my effort. Because who wants to divide their life? Who wants to devote their life to a second-rate temple? Why put my hand to the plow if I already feel as though I'm going to be defeated? I want you to consider some of the ways that you have been discouraged in doing kingdom work. Maybe you've been investing in someone. You're, you're encouraging them in the Lord, and it, and it seems to be making no difference. You're calling them weekly. There's these weekly phone calls with that person, and they're starting to look like dirty old bricks that aren't making that much of a difference. And it's starting to seem easier to just stop making it a priority. Maybe you've been praying for a family member for weeks or months or years, some of you even decades, and you want to toss in the towel because the work seems to be backbreaking 
and there seems to be no progress up to this point and, and in the life of this person that you've been praying for. Maybe you've been helping people. Maybe you've been helping people on the streets in Portland, and you're growing discouraged because there are thousands and thousands of people on the streets and only one of you, and your work doesn't seem to be making the slightest dent in the homeless crisis in our city. The dusty brick isn't as appealing as, appealing as it once was in your life. Or maybe you've worked up the courage to share your faith. This was a victorious, glorious moment with someone at school or somebody at work, and it took everything that you've got. Um, But then when you look at your school and when you look at your workplace and how many people go there, you think, did my dusty old brick, did it really do anything? Like, it took everything in me to lay this. I worked up so much courage. Did it really make that much of a difference? Maybe you serve on the worship team or in children's ministry or youth ministry, or you're just trying to love your neighbor. You fill in the blank and you feel called to it, but you are extremely discouraged because you just aren't seeing the fruit or the purpose behind the seemingly small bricks that you're laying. Week in and week out, the same old stuff with not much progress. Like what difference would it make if I just stopped? May God's words through Haggai fall afresh on us today. Read this in verse 4 and 5. Yet now, be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. So the charge here is that the people would be strong, that they would continue working, and that they would fear not. And why is that? Why should they do that? It's in there because God is with them. He is in their midst. His spirit is in their midst. He's saying, you might think that what you're doing is small and insignificant, but it's not. Why? Because I am with you, says the Lord. The greatest part about kingdom work is that the king is with us in it. You can do small things with a big vision and perspective, and it can all have a huge impact because God's hand is in it with you. When God is leading you, nothing is too small or insignificant. Even dusty old bricks can lead to his glory. In our society, we rank jobs based on difficulty level um, and hourly wage. Like no one wants a dirty and difficult job, and everyone wants a significantly paying job. But friends, when we do God's work, when he's the one leading us, it doesn't matter if we're preaching a sermon, mowing a lawn, changing a diaper, sweeping the floor, talking to a stranger, buying a bus ticket for someone. It all has the significance of his glory. Your work is significant not because of what it is, but because because of who is with you while you are doing it. Don't buy into the lie that God's work is only in the visible, fun, and crazy things Um, that everyone knows about. Like, don't confuse man's applause for God's approval. When, When we have God's approval and he is in it with us, we don't need man's applause. When we know God is in it with us, we can press on because we live for an audience of one. The fact that God is with them, it encouraged them once again. If you remember last week, when the people were reminded that God was with them, it actually renewed their, their mindset. It stirred them up is the word that it used. It fired them up. It was the red bull that gave them wings. 
Don't get any ideas, high schoolers. But Haggai 13, let's go back to this. It says, I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. And the Lord stirred up Zerubbabel, and the Lord stirred up Joshua, the high priest, and, and the Lord stirred up the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And then it says this, and they came and worked on the house of the Lord. When we do kingdom work, God not only works through us, but he also does a work inside of us. When we go to God, sure, he uses our work, but he stirs something up within us. Sometimes kingdom work is just as much about the work he's doing in us as it is about the work that he's doing through us. He encourages something within us. No matter the size or the significance of the task in front of you, God can use it and he can stir something up within you. Are you discouraged? Go to God. He has the ability to shift your perspective and and, and to stir up the spirit within you. At the end of Haggai 2 verse 5, God refers to the promise of the covenant made at the Exodus. And he shows that, that his presence now with them is the same powerful presence that divided the Red Sea, which is probably hard for them to connect the dots. How profound is it that the same God who parted the Red Sea is the same God who is with them as they lay bricks? That is, it's as if God is saying, what I did through the Red Sea, I can do through these dusty old bricks. If I did it then, I can do it now. What a beautiful faith reminder. Let's be reminded of the ways God has worked in our lives in the past, and let's develop a a faith that says if he did it then, he can do it again. If he did it in my life, he can do it in my coworker's life. If he rescued me, he can do it for them. I'm gonna keep building in faith, brick by brick, person by person, not because it's easy, but because God is in it with me. This is the verse God was referring to in Haggai um, 2 verse 5, but it's found in Exodus 19.4. It says this, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. So when he promises to be with the people in their work, what he means is I will use the same divine power that set you free as you lay those bricks. I'll help you and strengthen you and protect you and use you. That's what I'm gonna do. So be strong, get to work, don't fear. Let's continue in verses six through nine. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in. And get this part, and I will fill this house with glory says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be, shall be greater than the former glory, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. So God is giving the people a promise right here. He's showing them the significance of their calling. Each brick has a purpose. Why? Because God intends to use those bricks as a place that inhabits his glory. Each brick is important because God will fill the house with his glory and his peace will be made known in the world. And here's one of the most powerful kingdom building reminders for us that I can, I can pull out of this. It's this, when you build God's kingdom, you build more than you see. You might see a brick, but God sees his glory. You might see an annoying, back-breaking labor-intensive deed, but God sees a finished house where his glory is being revealed and peace is being dispersed across the world. 
Sometimes when you do kingdom work, you don't get to see the full impact that it has. The bricks you lay might not look like much, but without them, the entire house would come crumbling down. All we see may be measly old bricks, but let's not forget that God's promise is to take your work, to fill it with his glory, and make your labors more valuable than you could ever have imagined or ever accomplished on your own. You may only be laying one brick, but that brick is absolutely essential. It won't turn return void. God takes small, imperfect things. He takes broken, imperfect people, and he builds them into a house for his glory. Let's not overlook the significance of each hand and each brick laid when it comes to being God's people and doing God's work. Let's be people who prioritize the building of his kingdom. We live in a society that, that wants the biggest return on their investment, rightfully so. Like in stocks, in our labor, we want the least amount of work for the most amount of pay. And God's kingdom is on a totally different scale. If, if you want the greatest return on your investment, do kingdom work. It's work that is eternal. It's work that reverberates throughout the ages. It's work that never returns void. It's work that God uses to save souls of the people that he loves. If you want the biggest return on your investment, give your time, talents, and treasures to the building of God's kingdom. And the reason I say that is because I've been a personal recipient of people laying bricks in my life. I'm the recipient of other people's kingdom investment. People laid bricks in my life for the glory of God. When I was in middle school, my dad met Christ in rehab and he came home with this hope that I had never known before. He did kingdom work, introducing me to the Lord and saying, hey son, we're gonna follow Jesus together. He didn't have to do that, but he laid a brick in my life. In high school, my youth pastor picked me up from high school at lunch, and, and he brought me to this taco place. You might know it's taco time. And he loved me enough to tell me some hard truths that I needed to hear. It, it wasn't fun work for him, I could imagine, but it was work that he was a part of building God's kingdom. He laid a brick in my life for God's glory. In college, Luke and Danica served as some of my greatest supporters and encouragers in my faith and in like my future life decisions. Their labor and intentionality and warm meals and joyful company was building something in my life. They were brick layers for the Lord in that season. My wife has done some backbreaking work in my life and has forgiven me time and time again and loved me when I didn't think it was possible. She's a brick layer. I moved here, Pastor Paul and Dave, my in-laws, Kevin and Kelly, our friends like Jake and Alex. I could go on and on, but these people have been huge in this season of life. Each one of these people have done things that may have seemed insignificant to them at the time, but it gave me vision for God's kingdom and how to use my life to do the same. To, to join the work of building God's kingdom for God's purposes. So right now I have several people who are laying dusty old bricks in my life because they, they see the investment as worth it for the kingdom. I could list hundreds of people who have done seemingly insignificant things for the kingdom that has meant the absolute world to me. And for that, I glorify God. I give him praise for that. This is ministry, folks. This is now our calling to point people in God's direction regardless of the cost to do his work trusting that he will use it. I thank God for the people who are building God's kingdom and it fires me up to join in on that work. Let me remind you, God's kingdom work, it isn't always glamorous, but it is always glorious. 
It's not always glamorous. It's not always shiny and fun, but it is always glorious. I can think of a thousand other things you could invest your life in, but none would have the impact like God's kingdom work has. And I want to finish today by telling you a story about a pastor who was on a trip in Honolulu and couldn't sleep one evening, so he was walking around seeing if he can find somewhere to grab some food. Let me read this to you. It says this, Late one night, I walked up a side street in downtown Honolulu, and I found a little place that was still open. I went in, took a seat on one of the stools at the counter, and waited to be served. This was one of those run-down type of places. I, don't even, I didn't even touch the menu because I was afraid that if I opened it, something would crawl out. But it was the place, the only place that I could find. The guy behind the counter came over and asked me, what can I get you? And I said, a cup of coffee and a donut. He poured a cup of coffee, wiped his grimy hand on his smudged apron, and then grabbed a donut off the shelf behind him. As I sat there munching on my donut and sipping my coffee at 3.30 in the morning, the door of the diner suddenly swung open, and to my discomfort, in marched eight or nine provocative and noisy prostitutes. It was a small place, and they sat on either side of me, and their talk was loud and crude. I felt completely out of place and was just about to make my getaway when I overheard the woman beside me say, tomorrow's my birthday. I'm going to be 39. Her friends responded in a nasty tone. So, so what do you want from me? Like a birthday party? What do you want? You want me to go get you a cake and sing happy birthday? Come on, said the woman sitting next to me. Why, why do you have to be so mean? I was just telling you, that's all. Like, why do you have to put me down? I was just telling you it's my birthday. I don't want anything from you. I mean, why should you give me a birthday party? I've never had one in my whole life. Why would I have one now? When I heard this, I made a decision. I sat and waited until the women had left. Then I called over the guy behind the counter and said to him, do they come in here every night? Yeah, he answered. The one right next to me, does she come in here every night? Yeah, he said, that's Agnes. Yeah, she comes in here every night. Why do you want to know? Because I heard her say that tomorrow's her birthday. What do you say you and I do something about that? What do you think about throwing her a birthday party right here tomorrow night, same time? A smile appeared on his face and he answered with unhurried delight. That's great. I like that. That's a great idea. And calling to his wife who was doing the cooking in the back room, he said, hey, come on out here. This guy has a great idea. Tomorrow's Agnes's birthday. This guy wants to go in with us and throw a party for her right here tomorrow night. His wife came out of the back room bright and smiley and she said that's wonderful you know Agnes is one of those people who's really nice she's super kind but it doesn't seem like people return the favor look I told them if it's okay with you I'll get back here tomorrow morning at about 2 30 a.m decorate the place and I'll even get her a birthday cake no way says the guy behind the counter his name's Harry the birthday cake is my thing like I'll make the cake at 2 30 the next morning I was back at the diner. I had picked up some crepe paper decorations at the store and had a sign made out of cardboard that just said, Happy Birthday, Agnes. I decorated the diner from one end to the next. I had that diner looking good. The woman who did the cooking must have gotten the word out on the street because by 3.15 a.m., every prostitute in Honolulu was in the place. It was wall-to-wall prostitutes. At 3.30 on the dot, the door swung open, And in came Agnes and her friends. At once, we all screamed, happy birthday. 
Never have I seen a person so flabbergasted, so stunned, so shaken. Her mouth fell open. Her legs seemed to buckle a bit. Her friend grabbed her arm to steady her. As she was led to sit on one of the stools along the counter, we sang happy birthday to her. And as we came to the end of the song, happy birthday, dear Agnes, happy birthday to you, her eyes moistened. Then when the birthday cake with all the candles on it was carried out, she lost it was just openly sobbing. Harry mumbled, blow out the candles, Agnes. Come on, blow out the candles. If you don't blow out the candles, I'm going to have to blow them out for you. And an endless few seconds went by, and he, of course, blew out the candles and handed her a knife and said, cut the cake, Agnes. Yo, Agnes, we want some cake. Let's cut this. And Agnes looked down at her cake. Then without taking her eyes off of it, she, she slowly and softly said, look, Harry, is it all right with you if I... I mean, is it okay if I kind of, like, what I want to ask you, is it okay if I keep the cake a little while? I mean, is it all right if we don't eat it all right away? And Harry shrugged and said, sure, it's okay if you want to keep the cake. Keep the cake. Take it home if you want to. Can I? She asked. Then looking at me, she said, I live just down the street a couple doors. I want to take the cake home. I'll be right back, honest. She got off the stool, picked up the cake, and carrying it out like the holy grail, she walked toward the door with her first ever birthday cake. As we all just stood there motionless, she left. The doors closed, and there was a stunned silence across the room. Not knowing what else to do, I broke the silence by saying, what do you say we pray? That's what pastors do when there's an awkward silence and no no one knows what to do. So looking back on it now, it probably seemed abrupt and strange to be leading a prayer meeting with a bunch of prostitutes in a diner in Honolulu at 3.30 in the morning. But then it just felt like the right thing to do. I prayed for Agnes. I prayed for her salvation. I prayed for her, I prayed for her life to be changed and that God would be good to her. When I finished, Harry leaned over the counter with a trace of hostility in his voice and said, Hey, you never told me you were a preacher. What kind of church do you even belong to? It was one of those moments when just the right words came and I answered, I belong to a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. Harry waited a moment and then almost sneered as he answered, no, you don't. There's no church like that. If there was, I'd join. I'd join a church like that. Wouldn't we all? Wouldn't we all join a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning? And he says, well, that's the kind of church that Jesus came to create. My point for sharing this story is simple. The simple act of staying up late Buying a few birthday decorations might not have been a huge task for this pastor to make happen, but there's no telling what kind of glory came through his actions in the diner that night. God's glory was on display to every person in that room. What if the small, seemingly insignificant moments of serving people was actually the means, method, and mode that Jesus intended to use to change the world? To some, it might seem like an inconvenient dusty brick that won't make that much of a difference, but to another, it might be the glory of God that leads to salvation for many. There's no telling the impact this night had on the people in that room. So Cedar Mill Bible Church, God's kingdom work, it may seem lousy, it may look like dirty brick laying to you, but within the walls of those stacked bricks is where the glory of the Lord resides. The message for you today is the message for the people in Haggai's story. Be strong, 
Fear not. God is with you. Keep building brick by brick. You build more than you see.